0: Thanks for listening to the New Life Church Circe podcast. We hope today's message encourages you and inspires you. Before we get into that message, we want to remind you about just a couple of things. First off, if you'd like to get connected to what God is doing here at the Circe campus, text the word SEARCY to 88000 for more information about what's going on here at our local campus. And you can give online there as well. You can also get connected to life groups and so much more just by texting Cersei to eighty-eight thousand. Now get your Bible apps ready and prepare to hear a great word today. When I was uh, in my junior high years, and you guys know this from your own experience, you kind of uh, start kind of paying attention to uh, the way you you present yourself. Um, maybe clothes become an important thing, or. Uh, become part of your identity. You realize uh, that there are are different groups. Um, You kind of have just a social awakening in in those years. And I remember my best friend at that time, his name was Lanny. And uh, Lanny and I grew up in Little Rock together, and Lanny's parents and grandparents both were Successful business people, and I always like hanging out with Lanny because he had all the uh, the uh, toys. You know, he had four wheelers and boats and um, stuff like that. But one thing everybody always made a comment on with Lanny was he always had cool clothes. And uh, coming into that that age is also an age of comparison. So you kind of you know you look at yourself and you look at your friends and you go, are we still the same or does one of us? You know, look different. And I remember uh, going to my parents after kind of observing uh, Lanny and his, his dress code, if, if you will. I went to my parents one Christmas, and I said to them, I want one thing, okay? I want a pair of black Levi 501 button fly jeans. How many of y'all remember those? Remember those? Nobody? Okay. Come on, how many of y'all remember those? All right, and there you are. And so um, that's all that I wanted, and not, you know, you can't confuse the 501 with the 550 because the 550 had a zipper. I wanted 501 button flies, and uh, I got them, and I was so excited, and uh, like, you know, if those of you who know me well, I, I took care of them, okay, so I, I made sure that as was the fad then, you know, some... Uh, Teens were, you know, cutting the knees out of them, and some were taking just the back pockets and bleaching them, you know, so you'd have this black pair of jeans in these bleached out pockets, and not, not me, okay? I took care of, of my jeans. I wanted them to stay as black as they could. I love those things, but one thing I noticed is that, you know, three months later, six months later in that year that I had them. By summertime, I was, you know, we had chores around our house, and so in the summertime, I noticed I was hauling wood in those jeans, and I was mowing the yard, doing pickup, and, and we, we had a garden, and my mom would say, you know, go out and get so-and-so, and I'd run out there and do it, and I'd do it in my 501 jeans. I had motorcycles, and I'd, I'd ride motorcycles in those jeans, and what I realized was I had lost the the splendor of them. You know, what once was like really inspiring to me, and man, i got to take care of these. And they're just awesome. I'm so glad that my whole identity is wrapped up in a pair of button fly blue, blue jeans. But I lost the awe of it. And I, I think about that silly example about those jeans, and I, I look at, at my life now that I'm in my 40s, and I see that over time, I've done that with a lot of things, and you have too. You know, my my first car was was a a car that we we just sunk our hearts into. My dad and I it was a project for us, and um, <clears throat> I've told you many times about it and how how ugly it was. But when we were done, it was beautiful. And uh, man, I'd shine that thing up. Nobody could eat in my car um, when when we when we we were done. I had every penny that I ever had collected was wrapped up in that thing. But I noticed. After driving for several months, you know, we'd be unloading pizzas in that thing. You know, we'd have, I'd have a box open while I'm driving with my knee, and, you know, nobody else drives with their knee occasionally. <laughs> I'd, I'd be eating pizza and cheeseburgers, and we, we were all, um, you know, playing sports, and so our nasty, stinky gym bags would be in the back, you know, for days at a time, and I lost the splendor for that car. And, you know, we can even do that with, with something as significant as, as the people in our lives. Sometimes you can lose the splendor for your spouse. You can lose the awe for them. You know, it's like when you when you first start dating, you're just so starstruck. And, I mean, you're, you know, answering texts immediately. And now, you know, now that you're 20 years into it, you just get, you know, you answer it with one letter. It's like, okay, that's it. Um, you know, um, uh, one emoji, <laughs> that's all. Um, and so you, you, you have to fight for that, right? I mean, you've got to fight, to say every day, like, I love you, you love me, and every decision we make today is going to reflect that core value that, that we have. You, you're, you're fighting for it uh, so that you don't lose the awe of it. <clears throat> As I think about those things spiritually, I know full well that we can do the same thing with God. And I've thought so long and hard over how the past 12 months has been, and I, I I'm not... Picking on anybody. I'm not trying to formulate an opinion. I just want to I just want to open my heart to you. I think it's easy for us to, to, to get into this rhythm where we lose the the awe of, of God and why we do this in the first place. Like why why we're here to begin with. Like, why did you ever decide to follow Jesus? Why did you ever decide to make Him part of your life? Why did you ever turn your life completely and totally over to Him? And now, do you still have that, that right now? Um, when When I look at us spiritually, I think about the first time that we, you know, prayed the prayer, or we were baptized, or whatever it is that... That split time for you. It's like this point, this side of time, I was not following Christ. This side of time, I was. Whatever that marker is, was a special moment for you. It was a rite of passage. It was something special. And it's like right after that, those first couple of years. and Man, you are just, to use a a, a churchy term, you're on fire. I mean, no one had to motivate you. No one had to talk much about faith with you, it's, it's like you're, you're loaded with it, right? I mean, you're excited about your story and your transformation, you're telling your friends, you're telling your family, and it's easy. You don't do it out of guilt, you're not doing it because you feel like it's it's something that's got to be, you know, done, like, uh, you know, because it's it's a checklist, no, you're doing it because you feel like it's part of the fire that's in, in your gut. Well, we can lose that. And over time, if we're not careful, those early times with God become the best times with God, and suddenly all of our God moments end up in the past somewhere. It's like somewhere the the good things that we experience with God are always a memory, a story, something we're pulling from here rather than something we're living from now because we can lose the awe. In the book of Ezekiel, i want to take you to one, one verse today. In the book of Ezekiel, it's basically a book about the destruction and the exile of Judah and the promise of its restoration. This book is prophetic. It's punchy. In many places, it is a reminder of God saying, I see where you are, and I'm coming for you eventually. Hold on. So it's a book saying, this is what I need you to do right now in a time that is unpredictable. And I want to pull one, one verse. Ezekiel chapter 44, verse 23, says this. They are to teach my people the difference between the holy, and this can break down into being uncommon, okay? Something that is uncommon, it's sacred, it's set apart, and the common. He said, I've, I've got to let you know that there's a difference between Something that's very holy and sacred and wonderful and beautiful and has to be filled with awe versus all the other things. And this is a very, very old book, okay? So I want to put us all on some common ground, including myself, just to start this conversation. And I want to talk about some Bible characters really quick. When we look through Scripture, this has been an ongoing issue of our losing our awe of God. I want you to think about Samson for a second, Here's a guy full of strength, full of giftedness. But one night, things changed for him. He gets up the next morning, and he has no strength, and the Bible says this. He didn't even know it was gone. He began to perceive the strength, the giftedness of God on his life as just something that he could conjure, something that he could cajole. Something that he could work up on his own. And he lost the awe of this incredible giftedness on his life. When you look at the children of of Israel, they had a pillar of fire over them at night to protect them, to give them warmth from the desert. And they began to perceive a pillar of fire in the sky the same way you and I would do if we walked out on our back porches and looked at the moon. It became common. King Saul. Here's a guy who suddenly begins to think, I am a great person. Everyone leans on me for wisdom. I'm full of power. There's nothing that, there's no one above me except God. And he began or tried to do a sacrifice without the priest. It's like he just thought, I don't even need him anymore. I can can do this like I've seen it. This, This would be the equivalent of me watching a YouTube video and then telling you that I know how to do surgery. It was set apart for the priest only with precise um, and very clear and concise directives about how to do it, but he lost all in it. He lost the splendor and the sacredness, and he made it common. A New Testament example would be found in Mark 6, the people of Nazareth. They, Jesus comes to Nazareth, his hometown, and says, Hey, I'm the Savior of the world. And they said, No, no, we, we recognize you. Like, you're, you're Mary's son. You're Joseph's boy. You're, you're not a Savior. Like, you used to walk around this place as a kid with a tool belt asking to build a shed for people. And now you're the Savior? Ironically, The only geographical place that could not have miracles is the same place that had lost their awe of Him. Today, if we graduate that to ourselves, I want you to think about something. We come into this sanctuary today, and we sit in a common chair. That chair you're sitting in today is about 60 bucks. I could ask... I could put out a plea this morning, hey, we need everybody in here to buy your chair today. Most of you would not blink at 60 bucks. It's common. It's just a, just a chair. Now we have a, many of us right now, we have a tumbler in your hand full of common coffee. Now, the brand you bought will tell you they're more special than the others, but they're not. So you are sitting in a common chair with a common cup of coffee, and you may watch a worship set, but you don't you don't get in it like you it's common to you. it's, it's, it's just it's just David, it's just uh, instruments. It's, it's just a an, another song, but you're not you're not in the worship. I think we, we can see people be baptized and we walk out of here and we take a few pictures and we walk out of here as if nothing ever happened. We ought to be tearing the roof off of this place when somebody gets baptized. I remember, and this is, this is a story on, on, on me, but several years ago, around four or five now maybe, we, when we were at, at the carpet store, We'd reached this really uncomfortable place, and the sanctuary was about half the size for those of you who have never been there. Parking was awful. I mean, you had to you had to want to come to church to come to that church. Uh, it was There was nothing convenient about it. I mean, in the end, we, we were telling people, we only have three bathrooms, so you might want to go before you come. It, it was just that crowded. And people were walking, you know, parking at the Med Center and then walking across and over and... We had to go three services, so we did an 8.30, 10, and 11.30, and you kind of don't know this unless you've really done it, but there's a huge difference in your strength and energy between two services and three. So we would do the 8.30, you know, we'd come out, man, this is awesome, praise God, it's the Lord's day, this is going to be great, and then 10 was a little dial down from there, and we're like, you know, this is... It's really beautiful what God's doing. By 1130, you want to go home, and you're hoping that the Spirit takes over your body. And I remember several times in between that service, we only had 20, 25 minutes to flip that, that service, and I'd be sitting somewhere in a room or closet, whatever I could find. And I would think, man, God, do we have to do the 1130? I mean, can you... Can you just, you know, take me over and me check out, and you just use my body and 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 do it. And when I reflect on that, there's some guilt involved in that thought because I had lost the awe of what God was doing for us. And I remember the very first time I looked out of that side door over there and saw people parking at the chiropractor's office and jumping the street to come in. And in my mind, you know, people did that in, in, in the rain. They did it when it was cold. And I remember just sometimes being moved, like like tearful eyes, because people were, were coming to the house of God and crossing the street to do it. Okay, now, that's nothing in, a, in, a, in another country, but in the Western world, when people are jumping the street, they're moved, okay? I think that it's, if, if we're not careful, we can come to this place to where we've lost the awe and we've lost the reason why. And I'll even talk to our staff and volunteers today. Sometimes for you, 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 you do it, but you don't know why anymore. And you're serving, there's this old statement by Bill Hybels, when he says, is the way you're doing the work of God destroying the work of God in you? But that just, what that means is, you know, you're moving at 100 miles an hour, you know how to do ministry, but you've lost the awe of ministry. This is somehow the, the whole calling, the thing on you that made you lose sleep years ago, is now a point of frustration. And you've just lost it. And if you are not someone who's or a volunteer, someone who has a distinct call of God on your life for the ministry of the local church, you still feel that as a follower of Jesus. You're deciding right now, do I go today? Do I stay? Do I serve? Do I still give? Do I, you know, where, where am I at with that? And my challenge to us this morning is, man, fight for the awe of God. Fight to still know him. Fight to still be in his presence. So I want to communicate just a few thoughts today. The first one is this. God has to be known, not just experienced. Again, I'm taking my heart out here, but I think, you know, I'm not going to have, to have you raise your hand, but I would bet a lot of us grew up the same way. And I'm not talking about denomination. I'm talking about the, the feel, the church I grew up in and had had pews. And um everything was kind of ornate. You know, we had a big table, this doing remembrance of me. Even the pulpit was big. You kind of stepped into it and it wrapped around you. It was great being a Pentecostal. You could beat that thing to death, it wouldn't move. Um when I was 16, I started speaking some. I didn't know what to do with it. Didn't know what, what was really going to transpire with my life, really. But I knew I loved the Word. I knew I had enjoyed teaching it. By the time I was 20, I was traveling all these little churches in the state of Arkansas. And those memories are beautiful to me because I would walk in. And they were all different, but they were all special. And they shared some commonality. I remember some of those, those, how many of you grew up sitting on pews? Everybody? Most of us here, yeah. There are, there's some swank that comes with pews. Seriously, some of you grew up on just a wooden bench. You're going to heaven, that's what the Bible says. Some of you, if you were lucky, you had a pad just on the bottom, but not the back. As a middle income church. So, you know, you had a little for the backside, but not anything for the lower backside. Then some of you grew up in high cotton because you had a wooden bench, but it had pads on the back and on the bottom, and probably somebody bought that because it had a little thing on the side. Come on, y'all, you got you to gotta loosen up a little, right? Okay. In memory of some, you know, I don't know, do I think about them every time I sit? What am I supposed to do with that? And then you had like an upgrade because like in front of you, if you were sitting in a pew and in front of you was a pew package and the pew package was, you had a shelf for the hymn books and you had communion cup holders. I got my thumb stuck in one of those one time, they'd cut me out, I'm not kidding, And then you had a little envelope holder, and if you were really swanky, you had a place for a pen. So all you had to do growing up was kind of lean up and participate. Now, some of y'all want a communion holder now, but you want it like this big. So you can put your tumbler down in it. That's because you're lazy. And uh, we had the blue book and the green book and our worship pastors would indicate which one. So it was like, today we're going to sing from page 150 in the blue book, and everybody would pull it out. And for us, that was, oh, I want to see him. And they would preface it by saying, how many of you want to see him? And everybody would go, I want to see him. And then we would crank up, oh, I want to see him. And the the windows had some stained glass, and and the church that I, I grew up in, had a had a mixture. It was when you walked in, the church had a smell. Did y'all's church have a smell growing up? And and it was a mixture between like mahogany and your grandmother's attic. It was just a little bit of that that mix. It was kind of kind of musty. Robbie, you're cracking me up down there. <laughs> it's so funny. She's having some flashbacks. And so this all uh, became part of the experience of God, like you, because the churches were like no other building in town, and so you would walk in, and it was almost like, wow, God lives here, and you, you know, no nowhere else had stained glass and pews like this and furniture like that and and music like that, and, you know, some of you grew up with your pipe organ lined the back wall, and, and so, you know, for us, man, we would sing all night, y'all, we would we would sing and sing and sing until we just could not sing anymore. Sometimes the musicians would rotate because they would sing for so long. And, and it was very experiential, very demonstrative. Preaching would go on for a long, long time. Some of y'all think I preached long. You did not grow up where I grew up. Okay? Okay. This is, this is a, a, a very, very microwave short message compared to, to an hour and a half uh, message that we got a lot of times, especially on Sunday night, because that's when the Spirit really moved. Um, but I want you to think about your experience. For some of you, it was very liturgical. You, you had statements from sacred texts, things that were very uncommon. And they've been holy to you. Maybe you remember taking communion every single week. And as you held the cup and the cracker, it it transformed in you to the body and the blood of Jesus. and became something that was powerful. And now as you think about God, you think about those experiences. But I'm going to tell you that they are just a a door to getting to know God. So don't bypass an experience of God and say that that's what it means to know Him. Because He's more than a song and more than a sermon and more than serving and more than giving and more than a building. And He's more than furniture and He's more than a cross on the wall. He's more than our experience. And if we're not careful, see experiences fade. Christmas was just two months ago. I can't remember a third of what I got. Why? Because it fades. It's like those jeans. I don't care anything about those jeans in my first car and a million other things. Why? Because they were experiences and they faded. But when I know something, it's ever before me. And in Matthew 7, Jesus having this conversation. I'm going to have to paraphrase, but it's somewhere around verse 22, 23, 24. He says, many will come and they'll say, Lord, now listen, we, we did many good works for you. One verse says, we cast out devils in your name. Okay, this is signs and wonders type stuff. It says, and then the Lord will say to them, I don't know you. You see the, 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 the difference? What they were giving people was experiences of Jesus. Experiences. But what what he really wants from us is to know him, to be in communion with him. And it's going to be so easy in our culture right now to just lose traction. And I want you to hear my heart on this because I'm not getting on a soapbox. And those of you watching online, hear my heart today. It's going to be easy for us to say, let's just stay. Let's not go. And we exchange connectedness for convenience. Or we go months and months and months and months. Now suddenly we're in a habit. Suddenly now we're in a pattern. And now we look at stuff that when we started following him was full of fire and zeal. And we go, I don't know if I want to serve anymore. And if your heart is not in it, you're sure not going to resource it. When your guts are not wrapped up in something, when you don't have passion for it, you're not gonna fund that. I do the same thing. Why would I do that? You can look at my bank statements and see where my passions lie. So then I stop planning churches, and I stop supporting missionaries, and I stop helping the gospel message. But the truth is, we're carrying a torch. It was started two millennia ago, and we are responsible to keep a fire in our life and an awe of God, and we have to fight for that, because in our humanity, it will fade on its own. Ephesians 3 gives us this great insight, and this is verse 10 and 11. It says, says this, his intent was that, everybody say now. Through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made, what? Known. His intent is that right now, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be, be, be made known. Not, not just experience, not, not just felt, not just give us a storyline, but to know it. See, isn't faith about that, okay? If, if, if I flip this and give an example, it, it would, would be this. It's those hard times in your life where faith feels like a million miles away, but there's something in your heart that you know that keeps you anchored. You may not feel it, you may not be experiencing it, but you know at the core of who you are, there lies something good that you know. I know he is still with me. I don't feel like it right now, but I know he's there. That's what I'm talking about. That's why the local church is so important and so strong and so valued. And this is why we're going to put out the call as soon as we can and say, come back. Let's be together. Let's connect. Let's continue to do something incredible. Let's take every single independent gift we've got in this room and make a fist with it and do something great together. Because knowing him is what I stand in awe about. I'm going to go to my last point, Glenn. Growing up with God does not mean we outgrow God. Okay, again, here, here's the temptation. For those of you who have been in church your whole life, th- this could be the temptation for you to go, I get it, okay? Uh, I've, I've heard it. I've heard a majority of the stories, the angles, the, the principle, the application of it. I got it. That's why now, as an adult, as somebody who's been walking with God for 20 years, that's why I don't have to go every week, or that's why I can skip out, or that's see, it's but it's not about the rules, you're missing it. It's about when you take a bunch of people who know God and you put them in the same room, there's a there's a presence there. You put someone who is filled with God and you put them in a room, it'll change the atmosphere of a room. It's the giftedness on their life. So don't feel like if you grow up with God that over the years you just cool down. And man, y'all, let's just be honest. You get caught up in adulting. Everybody in here is, is paying on something probably. And you're managing so much. You're managing relationships, you're parenting children, some of you are parenting adult children and their children, you're managing your health, you're managing your own anxieties, and somewhere on the priority list of of fighting for the awe of God, it just—it's still on the list, but it gets bumped, and then it gets bumped, and then it gets bumped, and then it gets bumped, and suddenly we lose the sacredness of this. Suddenly we lose why this is important and why God called us to it. And I said, "Do not forsake the gathering of yourselves together. You—you you get together, make it a priority. Do it. Do it. Do it. Do it." Because there's something special and sacred and uncommon about it. And if you make it common, it forfeits all the others. And you can be someone who who has a lot of stories to tell, but doesn't know God. And I want to wrap wrap this up by just giving you scripture so you know this isn't just personal philosophy. In 2 Samuel chapter 6, and I'm I'm going to end with this. Watch, I'm going to do this. Glenn, just put my notes on the screen. They'll think I've got it memorized. In 2 Samuel chapter 6, this is kind of the context. The Ark of the Covenant has been right down the road at Abinadab's house, which is just seven miles from Jerusalem. It's been there for 30 years. All the people of God have forgotten and lost awe with the most iconic piece to their history, and it's seven miles away. It's not in captivity. It's not been exiled. It's not been destroyed. It is in the house of the priest of Abinadab, seven miles away. David is the newly appointed king. He's thinking, and one day he goes, you know what? I'm going to get it. We're going to bring it back. We're going to celebrate. I want you to put all the instruments together, get the priest. We're going. We're going to go to the house of Abinadab, and they put together a parade And they go to the house of Abinadab. But you got to understand to make, to put the button on on, on this message, you got to understand what was going on in the house of Abinadab. This is what happens. Abinadab has two boys, Uzzah and Ahio. And Abinadab gives them the responsibility of packaging this thing up before the king arrives. These boys, for 30 years, have grown up with the most iconic piece. In Jerusalem and Judah's history, in the back bedroom of a house. They've never seen it in the Holy of Holies. They've never seen the awe of it. They don't understand the splendor of it. The story of it has scarcely been told for three decades. So what happens? Now, you and I know when you transport the ark, you do it with four priests and acacia poles. You run it through, two priests on the front, two on the back, And everything else follows. The priest, it's always got to be the first thing. It's very sentimental and holy and set apart. But they don't know this. Why? Because they grew up with it sitting in the back bedroom. So us in Ohio get this plan. This is going to sound like it's from southern Arkansas, but it's not. Hey, back that card up here. Go get the ox. Back that cart up. No, come on back. Come on back. A little bit more. A little bit more. Okay. Y'all ever seen that? Yeah. That's what happened. And somehow, where they used boards or whatever, they got it onto the cart. And the Bible says they start their way, and everybody's celebrating and rejoicing. The king is there, and all that... Instruments. I mean, you imagine the giftedness that is surrounded this thing, and just like that, things take take a turn. The Bible says the oxen stumble, the ark shifts its weight. Uzzah puts his hand on it and dies, and everything stops. The music, the people stop playing. They stop celebrating. They're wide eyed. They're looking at David. David's looking at God. Nobody knows what to do with it. They shut the whole thing down. They. Crawl back to Jerusalem. David hides in a hole. He goes, God, what happened? They lost the awe of it. And the holy became humdrum. Man, I want us to fight for this. I want us to be a powerful church where lives are transformed and people are saved and baptized and full of the Spirit and your life is transformed and marriages are restored and addictions are shoved away and things in you that are broken are made whole. And that's only going to happen when we come back to the awe of God. Okay? Put up Psalm 33 for me, guys. Will you do that for me? So David's pinning out I'm going to close with this. David's pinning out and he writes in Psalm 33, he says, we wait in hope for the Lord. He is our help and our shield. There's another one of those. Put that one up. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of Him. Now this is verse 8. Stand in awe of Him. And then verse 20 says, we're going to, we're going to wait in hope. If you look at that through point of order, you'll see that you cannot wait and hope until you have stood in awe. Are y'all still with me? G- give, give me 60 seconds. I'm in seminary, and I go to a professor, and I say, I gotta talk this out with somebody, so I'm early 20s, and I say, "Here I am. I I think I have this call of God in my life for the local church. I don't know what that looks like yet. Don't don't know what, but here I'm in seminary, and I confess to Him, I, I, I don't feel God all the time. Like I, I'm praying, and and sometimes I have no connection. I go to chapel." I go to services throughout the week and the weekend. I'm devouring my Bible, and I just, I really feel stuck right now. And he told me, he said, well, listen, what you need to do, you're not experiencing anything abnormal. What you need to do is take that to the Lord and just tell him. Even though he knows it, just tell him. And so I found my, my prayer time was going to God, and I was saying, God, I don't, I don't feel you, and I'm struggling with that. And here I am. You know, I'm in seminary. I mean, shouldn't I have perfected that part already? And I found that in my confession, confession became searching and pursuing. And I'm going to tell you the same thing. And I'll tell you guys watching online today. If you're in that place where you feel like a pandemic completely derailed you, like you don't know, like where am I at anymore spiritually? If I could ask you to put just a geotag wherever you are on the map right now spiritually, some of you are lost. So I'm going to tell you this, come on back and just tell God, this is where I'm at. And I want to fight for the awe of you. I want to get to the end of my life and I want to have more than a bunch of stories and a stack of sermons. I want to know God. More than anything that we do, I guess I should say, I want us to know Him above all things. To know Him. And when we come together, It will be some of the most powerful experiences we can possibly have if we stand in awe of Him.